Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. Today we're happy to welcome back Chris Conacher, our resident audiophile. Chris likes to build things and put things together. He's been he's over the past couple of years he's made a sort of purpose-built computer for audio streaming what I like to call his audiophile cray and this summer he built an audio system in his backyard he documented it in detail and we're going to talk about that the first thing i want to know is do the chickens really like bill evans <laughs> the chickens according to me they like bill evans cuz when i put it on they came over to me and were looking at the speakers so yeah, you know what? Everybody digs Bill Evans. <laughs> Good one. So I'm going to link in the show notes to Chris's article about this. And so Chris has chickens in his backyard. He's got a bunch of different types of chickens. And he's got a chicken coop, and he's put audio in the chicken coop to make the chickens lay more eggs. Is that the idea? Uh, not totally. Okay. <laughs> I have a, maybe a stupid question, but... Why not just use wireless speakers out there? Oh, as soon as you can show me good ones, I'll sign up. Well, I mean, how good do they need to be for chickens? <laughs> <laughs> but also, don't forget, there's no such thing as true wireless. They're going to need power run to them. Yeah, right. So, which is easier than running speaker wire, you know, two feet under the ground. But I seriously wanted wireless. Everybody told me you got to do wireless. So I started looking and then I started asking and all the solutions to me sucked. Let's start by getting the parameters. How big is the backyard where you put this audio system? So the backyard is probably 50 feet from the house to the garage and yeah, probably 50 feet wide too. So 2,500 square feet. And how close are neighbors? Uh, neighbors are, gosh, it's probably 10 feet away on each side. They're close. Okay. Do they like Bill Evans? Ah, uh, I haven't heard him complain. <laughs> okay, because that would be my worry about setting up an audio system outdoors. I don't have many neighbors where I am, but would it bother the neighbors? Yeah, but you're not setting up the wall of sound. You're setting up, you know, little, yeah. what, I'm imagining little four or five inch pieces. Uh, so I did not ask, but the neighbors are really cool. You know, it's when they do stuff, I don't care. Go for it. As long as it's not midnight, have at it. I don't like people telling me what to do, so I don't tell them what to do, and we all seem to get along. So they have llamas and Vietnamese <laughs> pigs and things like oh, that? I, I wish and, they had goats, because then they could come over and mow the lawn. <laughs> I've been thinking the same thing, that we would like to have goats here in our garden. So the idea was basically you wanted to lounge outside with those drinks with the little umbrellas and put on your favorite music, right? Yeah, I love to sit outside, let the chickens out, and they roam the yard. It's relaxing. It's, it's cool. <laughs> and I know most people are like, what are you talking about? But hey... It, we got chickens like a year and a half ago. It's been the coolest thing ever. Now, I can understand. We have pheasants that come into our garden, a couple of females and a bunch of babies all at the same time. And it's quite relaxing. It is. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's not looking at a screen all day, you know? It's going out and being with other things. I love it. Well, why didn't you just choose, I'm going to say, why didn't you choose something simple? Because you're a Chris Connick and you don't choose simple things. But why didn't you just say, I'll listen with headphones when I'm outside? Uh, because that is, so I guess the big thing is that's not a shareable, enjoyable experience. Okay. Fair point. You know, when I'm outside with my daughter, I'll be like, oh, hey, I got to put on this new, 
you know, Rishikesh Hear Away podcast. You got to hear Song Exploder or, you know, whatever it is. I want to to share the experience. And I have all day up in my listening room where I'm only by myself. So it it's it's really fun to say, hey, check out this new song. Or she'll be like, hey, dad, can you play that Bill Evans again? Or I'm like, oh, of course, you know. So it's fun. But you live in a let's call it a, a two-season place. I mean, it's like you really only have like so many days outside. Then you get like, well, I have in the Northeast, we have, you know, snow between November and March. Yes. And um, is this a permanent arrangement, semi-permanent? So the way I installed the speakers is, well, let me back up first. They're IP65 rated. So, you know, they can handle... Waterproof, pretty, dustproof. Yeah, yeah, you know, they can handle a decent amount of weather. But... I'm not going to just go, okay, yeah, they'll handle all winter. So the way I installed them, they're really easy to take off the stands. So I'll just take the speakers in the house in the winter. And, you know, so when it gets minus 25, I don't really care. So they're not disguised as like trees or bushes or rocks. (laughs) Are they like those old sharper image speakers you used to be able to get? (laughs) Oh, I wish I could do that. But uh, again, like wireless, anytime you go down that route, the sound quality is terrible. And a lot yeah. of the manufacturers are questionable. So you're just like, eh, whatever. Right, right. How many speakers did you install outside? So I installed four speakers. So there's two zones. One zone is by the house and one zone's by the garage. And, you know, the the thing I remember most about this project is the worst thing ever was digging the trench for speaker wire. Yeah. I will never, ever do that again. I don't care how much it costs. Two feet under the ground and... We didn't have much rain this year, so the ground was rock hard. So I had to spray it down with water. water the ground. Yeah, I had to yeah. water the ground to loosen it then up. Then it gets all muddy. Oh, gosh, But yes. two feet, that's, uh, that seems exceptionally deep to me. Okay, so here's the deal with that. It doesn't have to be two feet, but we're looking at putting in a couple patios. And they're going to have to level the ground a little bit. And I'm oh. like, you know what? I'm not going to do this again. There. Let's yeah. just do it. You know, yeah. so I so went what did in. you do? You put you put some conduits down there so you can pull wire through in the future if you need to. Oh, I wish I would have. But oh, OK. By the time I dug the trench, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I just screw it. Just get it in the ground. I'm burying okay. it. It's done. Yes. Conduits would have been good. But they also the the spots underground aren't straight shots. So conduit I was going to have to do. I could have done like Smurf tubing, I guess. But I don't know. I just laid a direct burial cable, and you know what? It is what it is. So what date did you begin this, and what date did you end it? I began the research process long before because I had to get exactly what I wanted. And the, the one thing is if you want to mount outdoor speakers, uh, good luck getting anything except something that mounts on your house. Yeah. And I didn't want that. I just didn't want speakers mounted on my house. So I had to create my own stands and researching what I'm going to do with that. I mean, the whole process took months, but once I started digging, it was probably uh, three different weekends. Oh, that's not bad. Oh, that's a good project length. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a good project, and I was just like, you know what? I got I, I had the trenches dug, and I was like, I got to cover up these trenches. Somebody's going to break a leg. You know, a chicken's going to fall yeah. in. It's not going right. to be good. So I, I was, you know, had this encouragement 
to get it done. Now, like a Hollywood movie, this probably took place in three acts. The first act was the research. The second act was the beginning of digging the trenches. And then comes the conflict that leads the protagonist into <laughs> difficulty. Will he make it to the end? What what happened? I ordered the wrong connectors. There, something must have gone wrong at some point. Oh, oh, The cable was a foot too short or what? Oh, many things, you know, happened over the course of doing this. Finding out that there's different threads for different screws, you know, I, I don't even know the names of them, but I would go to the hardware store. They're like, oh, you want to mate that screw with that? No, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, so there was all kinds of that, several trips back and forth. And then I ran uh, one cable over an existing cable. I'd rather have run it under, but it was too late because there was so while I was digging, I ran into the original power line that went from the house to the garage that was in some sort of copper tubing which had been long dead um but i also ran into the power wire that they replaced that with what do you mean ran into ran into means you... the shovel hit it <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't as thorough as i was they only buried it about three inches under the ground oh, that's not a lot no not a lot at all so i ran into stuff like that which was interesting and i have about probably a couple hundred bucks in parts here that and ended up not being able to use because they were like the wrong thread or, you know. I have I have a whole drawer of stuff like that. I expect there to be $100 of leftover parts <laughs> yeah. whenever I start something. And each item was probably, you know, 10 bucks. So I'm like, oh, God, am I going to really go send this thing back? Or am I just going to say I'll put it in the drawer someday I'll use it? And that's that's the way I ended up, you know. So but it was fun. And. You know, finding some of these parts was a cool project, like the ground screws. I didn't even know those existed. So they're like these big hollow screw things you put in the ground and then you put your pipe right into there. So you don't have to dig a hole, put concrete in, you know, all that kind of stuff. How deep do you set those? Those go in two feet. So they went down to meet the wire. No, these are the poles to hold the speakers, right? You, you have to mallet them in really deep to make sure they're stable. But I'm assuming that the wires are coming up through the stands. No. Oh. That would have been really cool. But, oh, boy. Difficult, I think. That would have been a whole nother weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so so you have, like, this ground screw. You screw it in, goes in two feet, and it's hollow. So then your pipe goes right down into that ground screw. Right. So it's it's like a, a footing almost. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's for the weekend warriors like me who have no clue how to do real concrete and stuff like that. Now, when the wire goes into the ground, is there some kind of panel there or something that protects it? I mean, how does it enter? Does it just go into the ground? It's direct burial cable. It comes out through a hole in my house, straight into the ground, two feet in, and it runs all the way to the speaker, then comes up. So there's like no little special, I'm trying to think of like a, a, some kind of conduit or something that what, like leads a, it into the ground. Like a circular piece of metal with a hole yeah. to have the... the Something like that. So no, that's how just... professionals would do it. <laughs> yeah. And that would take me a lot more time and sweat and like, ah, yeah. this is terrible. So it just runs right into the ground, just goes right into the ground and goes to the other end of the yard. So it's, 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 yeah. it's that simple, quote unquote. <laughs> yes. It's, it's called direct burial cable. So you can do that. You know? And I also run, I also ran a couple fiber cables back from the house to the garage because I put another wireless access point back there. And I've had, you know, hit and miss experience with long runs of Ethernet. So I thought, I'm going to run fiber. I mean, that can go two kilometers. It's single mode fiber. And at first, I didn't even think about getting a special direct burial fiber cable. So it's just, one of them is just a normal 
It was like 12 bucks for 100 meters. And another one is like some military-grade cable, which wasn't that expensive. <laughs> but neither of them are direct burial. It's like I was so into this and just like I got to get this done and, oh, order this and that. You know, yeah. We'll see how it goes. I got a feeling they're both going to work fine. So, so what that means, if I understand, direct burial cable is better to, to, to weather the elements when it's underground. Yeah, there's some right? spec that it meets. So I'm just like, yeah, yeah it, it would have been good for direct burial fiber, but yeah, I guess we'll find out. Okay. So you didn't just install speakers; you set up two amplifiers as well to serve just these speakers? You don't have these patched into your home audio system? Uh, they're all connected to my network. Well, okay. Yes. I To your network, yes. So but there's two amplifiers, one for each zone. They're Blue Sound Power Nodes. These things are like the best tool in high-end audio. They sound great. They have all kinds of sources of music. It's second only to Sonos when it comes to sources. And they work with everything they work every single time. You know, I considered a bunch of other things, but nothing even came close. So the two power nodes are in my basement. Speaker cables just run out from those through the house and then into the ground into the speakers. The speakers are passive, no amplification in there. And, you know, that's like the entire system. The power nodes are connected via Ethernet, but they can also do Wi-Fi. So I just pull up my phone from wherever I'm at and have everything I could ever want. How does the music get to the power nodes? So the music gets to the power nodes depending on how you do it. If you use AirPlay, it's obviously coming from your phone. Right. If I use the Blue Sound app, the, the Blue Sound app, then it's coming directly from, say, Cobas, straight down to the power node and out to the speakers. There's, you know, many different ways that it works. Or I can use Rune and send audio to it. It's it's or really you could great. also get music off a of NAS or some kind of storage. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there. It's I I look at the power nodes as tools. It's like they do almost everything, and they're 900 bucks. so, I mean, not super cheap, but, you know, that's not even the sales tax on some of the cables in my room. So <laughs> it's a screaming deal. So I, I love the power nodes, and everything Blue Sound does is great. And so basically, you said they're kind of like Sonos. Yes. So it's the same idea that you've got, what, AirPlay, maybe Bluetooth or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it's not a brand I'm familiar with, but I'm just looking at their website and the basic, what is it, just Node is $549, which is about the cost of the Sonos amp. It's great. It's it's a great company too. If you have problems, they're responsive. They're not the giant that Sonos is. I mean, they're not a small company either, but in terms of communication with them, it's been great. They've been really good to work with. So. Altogether, you said it was $900 for each of these amps. And how much were the speakers? The speakers are 1200 bucks a pair. So $5,000, $7,500 for cables and screws and stuff? Yeah, probably. And stuff. Okay, so this is not a cheap process. No, this is, you know, I would say what an audiophile would do. Put in yeah. Dynaudio speakers outside with 8-inch woofers. I could have went, you know, with the ones that had 6-inch woofers, but I thought the size difference... Externally, isn't that different, and you can't get around physics. An eight-inch woofer is going to produce more bass, better bass, you know, whatever. Um, so, I especially outdoors, where, yes. where where getting good audio is a lot more difficult. Really yes. hard. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about what the system costs. You could certainly do it for a lot cheaper, or even a lot more expensive. Um, yeah. But I thought, you know what, this is. You can always do it for more money. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 
I thought this is what I'm willing to spend on the system. And as Doug said, given I can't be out there year round, um, you know, I, I went for this. And I have to say, when you're listening to a good audio system and you're outside and enjoying it, the sound is so awesome. That's interesting that you say that because I'm trying to think, when have I ever heard good hi-fi audio outdoors? And I really yeah. haven't. And um, uh, yeah, because it does, dis the sound disappears. You yeah. can be five feet away from the speakers and the sound is just dissipated. And Because there's no reflections. It's pointless, yeah. you know. That's why most people just have a boombox in their backyard. It's like, what's the point? These speakers are mounted at ear height, and they're the two zones, so I'm not too far from them. Yeah. Seriously, I could not believe how awesome the system sounded. And, it, I mean, it also has to do with the fact I'm outside. Yeah. I'm relaxed. The chickens are running around the yard, and all of a sudden I have my favorite music, and it sounds great. The whole yeah. experience is really, really way better than I thought it would be. And do you recommend this to our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I absolutely do. This is no. I'm saying the the reason is that you know we're going to link to your article, and and we've had you on enough times to know that you tend to be pretty obsessive about getting all things just exactly right. And I can imagine there was months of research and trying to decide what to get and, and, oh, should I go for this? Should I go for that? So there's a lot. It's not like you can buy a package with everything. <laughs> Each person has to figure out what fits in their space and how to install it. Yes, yes. So at the bottom of the article, I lay out everything that I used from the smallest screws to the speakers. And I like to tell people, look at what I did and then adjust it according to your needs. If you don't need two amps, get one. If you don't want to spend that much on a power node, find something a little cheaper. You know, but this, I can guarantee if you get this, it will work just like my system does. So adjust accordingly. Okay. Now, you have another slightly obsessive article. <laughs> the CAPS 20 update, my music storage situation and why audiophiles need a new iPad Pro. When I first looked at this, I was thinking... What, the current iPad Pro is already not good enough? But what you're saying is the previous iPad Pro is so much slower than the new iPad Pro. Yeah. So it's the current iPad Pro that people need to buy. First, quickly explain what the CAPS 20 is. This is your audiophile cray here. Yes, yes. So a lot of us on audiophile style and other places run DSP software, digital signal processing, that requires a lot of computer horsepower. So I thought... I'm going to do this the way I do things. And I worked with Intel, NVIDIA, all kinds of companies. And I came up with a really, really fast machine. And of course, I had to water cool it and bend the heat pipes myself. And it's it a was a fun thing. project. Thank you. It's it's pretty cool, I think. It is. Um, so that's what CAPS is. It's I, And I originally created CAPS because I wanted to fill a niche that nobody in hi-fi does, no manufacturer does. Because... I don't want to build something if people can go buy it. I will just get that and I'll write about it and say, please go buy this. Nobody's building anything like this for Hi-Fi. So I built it myself. So that's what CAPS is. What does CAPS stand for? CAPS stands for Computer Audiophile Pocket Server. When this originally was invented years ago, the original computer was so small, a friend looked and said, you could fit that in your pocket. So, so it was what, like on a Raspberry Pi? It, no, this, oh, this is way before Raspberry Pi. 
this was like an Alix board. Just it was small. It couldn't fit in my pocket. But a friend was like, "Holy crap, that's small." Yeah, compared to a computer computer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Compared to some compact Presario or whatever. <laughs> right. Okay, so I'm just looking at the Caps 20 page and you've got all these CPU meters kind of like on a Macintosh amp except they're not blue. You've got the water cooling, you've got the lights and everything. Looks like a gaming PC. How big is this? It, since this one doesn't fit in the pocket, is this like your standard PC body size? Well, it's slightly bigger. It's yeah. bigger than that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's slightly bigger. And yes, I forgot to mention the analog gauges that monitor oh, memory, sweet. network, CPU, <laughs> GPU. I those thought, are how so can I, sweet. Yeah, how can I take this up like 10 more notches? So I found a guy, Sasa Karanovic, in Toronto who actually created the software to make these work. Fantastic. That's cool. That that alone makes it worth having a computer like that. I would love to have that on my iMac up here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Is this noisy? Because obviously, as an audiophile, you don't want computer noise in your listening room. Very true. It is not noisy. I'm using uh, a radiator with five very, very, I mean, four very, very quiet fans, and they don't spin up very much. And do you keep this in the listening room, or is it off to the side, like in a closet? It's in... It's in the back corner of my listening room. I've thought about moving it elsewhere too, but it's kind of a project to move because you don't want to, you know, do anything that's going to cause the water to leak out or create a slow leak. And <laughs> I, I don't recommend water cooling for anybody who's not yeah. a geek and nerd and willing to look at it and go, oh man, I got to rebuild it because it's leaking. Okay. So <laughs> back to the iPad Pro now. So the, yes. the beginning of this was the Caps 20 and you've got apps on the iPad that need to index your 10 terabytes of music. Tell us what the problem was here. Yes. So I originally was using a second generation iPad Pro 12.9 inch, and I would try to index all of my music, it's like 300,000 some tracks, and it would take hours. I mean, literally hours. It would take so long. I would set it after I completed work for the day and come back the next day. So I created a sub And you would index the music every time you added new music, right? Well, there's an update feature, so I don't have to do the original, but the update also took forever. So I created a subset of my 10 terabytes of stuff I really cared about and blah, blah, blah. That took 40 minutes uh, to index. The update, when I ran, when I added new music, the update took four minutes and 41 seconds. So that's the second generation iPad. So that's not too bad. The update's the amount of time it takes to make a cup of tea. Yes, but when you but. get new music, you throw it on there and you want to listen to it. Exactly. Five minutes yeah. is five minutes. Over the course of a century, that could add up. It's a lot of tea, yes, too. this is a fair point. Yes, yeah, a lot yes. of tea. <laughs> okay, so with a new M1 Mac, so with a new M1 iPad Pro, how much faster oh, is it? Oh, my gosh. So what used to take 39 minutes and 41 seconds now took 45 seconds. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh my. That's one sixtieth of the I mean, time, give or it's, take. It's insane. Yeah. I just could not believe it. It was so cool. How how much of this is the app working better or the processor? Because that sounds like too much for it to just be the processor. It does. I have no idea what, you know, is involved in making it that much better. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to document it and write down the objective data because otherwise, if I just said, oh, you need one, it's way faster, that isn't going to cut it. When I show, I went from 40 minutes to less than a minute. I mean, that 
is awesome. And what's the software that's doing this? So the software is a closed, it's in closed beta right now. It's called JPlay for iOS. There's JPlay apps that are released already uh, for audio files, but this one is absolutely fantastic. It's a UPnP control point that integrates streaming, integrates everything. I absolutely love it. The existing control points for UPnP, I think, are terrible. Like people use mConnect, and I just I wouldn't war- wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah, anyone who's going to read this article, you got all kinds of abbreviations. Here's one where he's talking about HQ Player Embed and HQPE and UPnP DLNA and MeDLNA and <laughs> HQPE and HQPOS. And so it's going to take a while to understand what's going on here. Do you just have like a I don't know, a download link so someone can <laughs> set this up easily. No, you said it's in closed beta, so people can't access it now. But I think what's the what what you're getting at here is that the, the difference with the new iPad Pro with the M1 chips is night and day compared to the older one. Yes, absolutely. That's the whole gist of my story is if you don't like to waste time, just get the new iPad Pro <laughs> because the speed is incredible compared to the previous generations. Wow. Yeah. What's your next project, Chris? Oh, boy. There's a lot of them. I haven't decided yet. I have this running notes of here's what I want to do next, next, and next, and I don't know yet. Well, it's coming up to winter. Can you think of something that's winter-related? I don't know, a snowman speaker or something. <laughs> okay. so a, a, a Christmas tree with speakers. <laughs> so Halloween is coming up, and yeah. I have been known to put some speakers in the window and play Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas okay. uh, music score. So I'll probably do that again. Okay. So do you have some sort of like motion sensor when they come up the walk to ask for trick or treat to make some sound effects? Now, that would be really cool. It would be great. I totally agree. Trap door. Do. Oh, Trap door yeah. For your costume's not good enough, boom, you're gone. You're used to digging. You're you're you've got some experience with digging trenches. Yeah. Oh, I'm out with that one. However, <laughs> if you have a Nest doorbell this time of year, Nest allows you to enable the spooky sounds doorbell. And of course, I have done that. Okay. I, I have a ring doorbell. I haven't heard anything about that. So, <laughs> it's all fun. right, Chris, always great to talk to you. I look forward to hearing about another one of these insane projects. Mm. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a blast to be on the show. Our Patreon patrons are helping us produce every single episode, and it'd be very difficult without their help. So, thank you very, very much to our patrons. If you'd like the show, well, you can become a patron, too, for a contribution of just a couple of clams a month. Go to patreon.com slash the next track and sign yourself up. We'd appreciate it. What have you got for your next track there? My pick this week is The Velvet Underground, a documentary by Todd Haynes on Apple TV+. Now, I've long been a fan of The Velvet Underground. I discovered them in the mid-70s, so well after they had you know, broken up, of course, and to me, they were the quintessential New York rock band. They married the New York sort of pre-punk attitude with the kind of early psychedelia that you would get in, you know, late 60s, mid 60s. And this avant-garde element that came from John Cale being a classical musician interested in avant-garde, etc. So this documentary is, it's not just a documentary, it's an authorial statement by the director who decides to play with split screens throughout. So sometimes you'll have two screens. One screen is someone being interviewed or, you know, old footage. And another screen is like some weird avant-garde film from the 60s. 
And if you know anything about the Velvet Underground, they were involved with Andy Warhol and the factory, and Andy Warhol made a lot of films, and he always had Super 8 cameras, and so there's all these films going on with people. It was interesting, but it kind of sort of headed off in so many directions. One thing about documentaries about rock bands is when not all of the band members are alive, you tend to give more weight to those who are alive. So the the talking head that talked the most was John Cale. And of course, he left after two albums and not necessarily on the warmest of terms, but he didn't have that much negative to say. The other living band member is Mo Tucker, Maureen Tucker, the drummer, and she didn't get as much to say because she didn't have as much to say, but it's like there were all these other 70 and 80 year old people who were interviewed and who were complaining about the past or complaining about the hippies in San Francisco and stuff. And it kind of just sounded like, I hate to say it, a bunch of retired people in Florida in a nursing home, just talking about how bad it was in New York back in the days. And yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the documentary, a lot of interesting footage, you know, footage of the band playing. But I felt that it was kind of the, the director chose a direction that didn't really focus on the band. And maybe that makes sense because the band was part of a movement. I, I've read some reviews. Lots of people think it's just an extraordinary documentary. So, you know, no one agrees with me on all these things. So The Velvet Underground by Todd Haynes is on Apple TV+. Plus. I believe it's showing in cinemas in a couple places. And if you don't want to pay Apple TV+, Plus, I guess you can rent it someplace sooner or later. What about you, Doug? Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks. I had reason to think of uh, that band recently. Dan Hicks did a lot of recording in the 70s. Then he notably stopped recording, did a little bit of stuff in the 90s and the aughts, uh, did some kids' recordings. I know because I bought them for my kid. And um, did some special appearances here and there and died about five or six years ago. But anyway, Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks were popular in the early 70s. And I was thinking to myself, you know, there's only two records that I would think of his that would be CD-worthy that I should probably think about getting, and that would be the first one called Original Recordings, and that's the one that's got uh, How Can I Miss You When You Won't Go Away and I Scare Myself. Those are probably his most popular songs. And the other one is Last Train to Hicksville, the home of Happy Feet, I believe is the subtitle. And I was thinking, you know, those are two great Dan Hicks records. I should listen to them. If you don't know Dan Hicks, well... He created this sort of mythological swing band. It's like they always appeared as if they were the house band at a a Hawaiian-themed jazz club in Rio. That's kind of how they portrayed themselves. But they did a lot of jazzy 30s stuff, a lot of Django-y sounding stuff. Um, a lot of fun, swing. Anything that swings, I think uh, Dan Hicks would give a shot. But anyway, I'm thinking I should really get these CDs, and I look at my CD rack. <laughs> And I already have them. I have those two albums already on CD. So I'm going to listen to them. Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks, original recordings. And Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks, Last Train to Hicksville. They're my next tracks. This was episode number 221 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining. It's listener support that keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.